Hello, 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 hello. Hello to everyone. Hello, hello, hello to everyone. You are tuned into World Conspiracy Talk Show with your truly Anjo. And today we have a lot of things to share, a lot of information. Rich people might find interesting. Don't forget I'm up in cast box. The World Conspiracy Talk Show and Conspiracy Radio. And I want to say hi and shout out to all of my followers and all of my fans who join in to tune in to the World Conspiracy Talk Show. And today we are about to get on some few interesting topics. I want to say hello and hi to all of my fans, all of my listeners who join into the World Conspiracy Talk Show with your truly Andrew on the Chaos Box Conspiracy Radio. And today we have a lot of information I would like to share with you, information which I think people might find very interesting, very, very interesting. The other time, the other day I was on, I discussed a topic where I start off with NASA. Yeah, NASA and the space program. And I'm about to share some further information because, you know, we keep on digging and digging and digging. NASA is all about, they find some planets. One of them, the nearest, was 20 light years away. Yeah. One was 490 light years away. Richard they teach us one light year is 4.4 year in our time, calculated as galaxy time. So in order for scientists to read so far, that they could literally show us a planet. It is impossible, it is just a stimulation computer stimulant yeah where they show us a trick they have a good computer nasa program there was nothing like that first thing to be first one light year four and a half 4.4 year galaxy time so we would wind it down to the nearest one which they find 20 light planets away say two light planets would be eight and add i write it off at nine year add two more light year to that that would be 18 year that's four light year still leave 16 in 20 so that will be 18 light year take four more out of the 16 18 again 18 and 18 32 years so that will leave four more light years which would wind us up into actually a next almost 17, 18 years and 32 years. Yeah. Plus the other one, 490 
light years away. There is no such rocket, no such satellite that can show us no such image from so far away. There is no rocket with no such fuel to travel so far. Astronauts and that rocket are people would die if you do the maths. 490 years, it will almost be 300 years, 300 and odd years, if not more. No human being could live so long, especially sailing on a rocket. So it is all part of a world conspiracy plot. All part of the deep state, the elite, confuse the people brain, manipulate, control, total absolute power, world conspiracy. And I will prove it to you because on world conspiracy talk show we deal with facts and not max. So without no further delay, let's get the program started off with NASA again. Again and again and again. Here we go. You've done again. a lot of science. That was 1994. You've done a lot of science since then. What does your work focus on these days? Can we achieve faster than light travel? That's the big question, isn't it? It is important, though. Throughout the history of sci fi, it's been explored many times, but usually never backed up as to how it could happen. That was usually glanced over, and faster than light travel is something we want. Warping at many times the speed of light to explore our entire universe is an alluring idea, especially if we want to someday meet intelligent alien life. It's infectious even. So how do we do that, speaking in terms of the real universe? Unfortunately, there have never been very many ways to do it according to known physics. In fact, it's almost hostile to the idea. Breaking the speed of light within Einstein's relativity, the best description of the universe at large that we have, would require infinite energy. Infinite energy isn't possible. Or is there another way? Is there a way to essentially hack the universe and move its speed so fast that science fiction generally didn't imagine until science itself actually did? My guest today explored. So as you can see from way back in the days, even in Einstein days, these guys we're trying to develop ways where human spacecraft could travel faster or faster to break a light speed barrier because that's the only way we could reach to a planet that they said is 490 light years away. So this ain't nothing new and this information is in the public domain, in the public media but just been a little bit shook aside, overpuffed, sugar-coated, stereotype, just for the purpose of hiding the truth from the people. So as we add it again, here we go. NASA. Speaking in terms of the real universe, we achieve faster than light travel. Can we achieve faster than can we achieve faster than light travel? That's the big question, isn't it? It is important though. 
Throughout the history of sci-fi, it's been explored many times, but usually never backed up as to how it could happen. That was usually glanced over, and faster than light travel is something we want. Warping at many times the speed of light to explore our entire universe is an alluring idea, especially if we want to someday meet intelligent alien life. It's infectious even. So how do we do that, speaking in terms of the real universe? Unfortunately, there have never been very many ways to do it according to known physics. In fact, it's almost hostile to the idea. Breaking the speed of light within Einstein's relativity, the best description of the universe at large that we have, would require infinite energy. Infinite energy isn't possible. Or is there another way? Is there a way to essentially hack the universe and move its speed so fast that science fiction generally didn't imagine until science itself actually did? My guest today explored just such a concept after watching an episode of Star Trek and thinking about how a warp field could be established that would allow faster than light travel. It's just an idea consistent with relativity. There's no guarantee it would actually work, but it's one that so far has stood the test of time. People still wonder about this idea over 20 years after its formulation. As I said, it's consistent with relativity, but with caveats, pretty big ones. But it's important to explore the idea nonetheless. After all, if we respond to all ideas as inherently impossible, we'd have never gotten very far as a civilization. So can we actually travel faster than light? Welcome to Event Horizon with John. And before we go further, I would like to point out a little issue. First thing first, he said, none of it have been proven. It is just science fiction. Okay? So this is what I want all my listeners who are tuning in to know. This is just science fiction. Not something that is really factuable independently verify but science fiction okay science fiction backed up with computer stimulator stimulation you understand okay so here we go michael godier Joining John in this episode is theoretical physicist Dr. Miguel Alcubierre. Dr. Alcubierre received his PhD in 1994 through the study of numerical general relativity and has since worked at the Max Planck Institute for Gravitational Physics in Potsdam, Germany, and the National Autonomous University of Mexico. Dr. Alcubierre is best known for his 1994 paper, The Warp Drive, Hyperfast travel within general relativity, where he describes his theory for traveling faster than light with what's become known as the Alcubierre warp drive. Welcome everyone to Event Horizon with me, John Michael Godier. If you enjoy what you hear, fall into the Event Horizon, hit the like button, and become an active subscriber by ringing the bell. Miguel Alcubierre, welcome to the program. Ah, okay, and don't forget, fans, all of my listeners tuning in. Don't forget 
to leave a text, comment, likes, follow, share the episode. Okay? And you're tuned into World Conspiracy Talk Show with your truly Andrew. Hello. Doctor, everybody knows you for your warp bubble concept, but you've done a lot of science. That was 1994. You've done a lot of science since then. What is your work focus on these days? Well, uh, and these days I've been working on, on black hole formation and also on something a little bit esoteric that we call boson stars, which is a, a model for a star made, made of a special kind of field that could mimic a black hole in many circumstances. So I've been specializing in that area. And my work is mostly numerical simulations. So for a long time, I've been doing numerical simulations of black hole space times, formation of black holes, collapse of stars, and also gravitational waves, uh, production of gravitational waves. So that's, that's my main work. And I've been working on that for the last 20 odd years. We recently detected with the LIGO experiment the formation of, or the coalescing of two neutron stars. And I suppose that would be even more applicable to black holes if you have a binary black hole that's merging. Now, do you study that? I've studied binary black hole formation, uh, collision of binary black holes, not so much neutron stars. Neutron stars are difficult for different reasons because they have a lot of matter and you have to deploy dynamics and maybe magnetic fields and things like that. Black holes are cleaner. And I've been studying black holes for a long time. So during the 90s and even early part of the 2000s, my main work was black hole simulations, simulations of black holes that collide in an in-spiral, they're orbiting, and that they do an in-spiral collision. And that was actually the first thing detected by LIGO. Three years ago, uh, they detected the first gravitational wave detection ever was a collision of two black holes, which is exactly the problem I, I have been working for a long time. Now, when, when black holes merge, collide like that, Yes. How, long, how long does that process take before they become entangled and gravitationally and they actually collide? Depends very much on how they form, but it could take tens of millions of years. It's a very, very long process. It's very slow. They approach each other very slowly because they're emitting very low gravitational waves energy. They're losing energy in gravitational waves, but it's very, very slow. And those gravitational waves in principle cannot be detected because they're extremely weak. But this process takes millions and millions of years. But eventually they get to the point in which they're very, very close and uh, they're, they're separated just by, by a few times their own radius. And at that point, the whole process can take just fractions of a second. And that's what we detect. So the, the final the detection of the gravitational waves from a black hole collision typically only detects the less than a second, the last fraction of a second of a collision. That's what we can detect. And uh, the first detection, actually, the whole thing lasted for about 20 uh, 20 parts of a second, so one twentieth of a second or something like that. It was really very, very close. Neutron stars actually take longer. So when two neutron stars collide, we can detect the last minute or so of a collision. And that's because they're usually closer by, so the signal is stronger. And it's also more in the range of the detector, so we can detect for longer. But black holes is a very, very fast process with what we can detect. So when you have two incredibly dense objects, like two black holes or two neutron stars for that matter, this has to be a ridiculously abnormal environment. Do you see things like, so you create gravitational waves, but what, what are the radiation comes out of that? Do you see like this perhaps a solution to something like fast radio bursts where you, you just see this mysterious burst of radiation that comes out of nowhere? Could that be from these kinds of mergers? That's, that's exactly what we think, not from black holes. When two black holes merge, then nothing else happens. It's only gravitational waves because black holes are vacuum. They have no matter. 
the matter has all been concentrated in the center and the center is beyond the horizon so it cannot nothing that happens inside the black hole can affect us and no radiation comes out from there so when two black holes collide all you get is gravitational waves but when do, do neutron stars collide that's very different because neutrons are made of, of matter they're made of fluids and, and they have magnetic fields and, and, and etc so when two neutron stars collide essentially you get fireworks you get a huge explosion and, and this explosion produces radiation in all wavelengths. And in principle, yes, we believe that part of the gamma ray bursts that have been detected for the last 20 or 30 years by satellites come from collisions of neutron stars. There are actually two different types of gamma ray bursts, what we call the long-lived and the short-lived. And we believe that the short-lived are mainly caused by collisions of neutron stars. The long-lived, we're still not sure, but the short-lived are probably almost always the collision of two neutron stars. And this is extremely interesting because if we can get the, the information from the collision of the neutron stars with gravitational waves, and also we can detect them also with gamma rays and other things, then we can learn a lot about the system. We can even do cosmology. So these types of systems are far more interesting. At the moment, there's only one confirmed detection of a collision of two neutron stars from LIGO, from gravitational waves. That was just over a year ago, a year and a half ago. And there hasn't been another announced, but maybe they, they've seen something in the last few weeks and they're a bit cautious about announcing it. Uh, there might be some hints about it, but that, those are the extremely interesting systems. Collisions of, of stars give us a lot more information about the universe. Now, is that due to the fact that nothing can escape a black hole's event horizon? So if you have two black holes coalescing, and and falling into each other and becoming a single black hole you can't get anything except gravitational waves because nothing can escape the the black holes so you can't get any kind of of radiation other than i guess some maybe some kind of hawking radiation off it so is that the case that that they're just simply that's exactly the case when two black holes collide there's nothing else there it's just two black holes there's nothing can escape from inside the black hole, so there's no light, there's no radiation of any kind. The only thing you get are gravitational waves. So in that sense, it's a very clean system, but it's also you can only detect it on gravitational waves and, and nothing else. Even, even the Hawking radiation, Hawking radiation is a concept that it's theoretically very well understood, but we've never seen evidence of that because for a black hole the size of a star or bigger, which is the ones we've seen, that Hawking radiation is, is completely negligible. It, it's and just being ignored completely. There's no hope of detecting it. So what you detect is just the gravitational waves coming from the collision. Still, that's very interesting. That was the first system we've seen, we saw, and we've seen about 10, maybe a lot more now because LIGO's already taken data again, but until the beginning of this year, we've seen about 10 collisions of black holes with, with LIGO. When I, when I say seen, I actually mean observed with gravitational waves, not with light. But, so that happens sufficiently often that we see them a lot. Collisions of neutral stars are not that easy to see because if they happen very far away, you can't see them because the signal is very weak. They have to happen very close by so you might be able to detect them. But black holes you can detect very far away because they're usually bigger. And that means that the, that the signal in gravitational waves is much stronger, but that's all you get. So you get the gravitational wave, you know it was two black holes. You can, you can measure the distance because of the gravitational waves and you can get the mass of the black holes and maybe if we're lucky even how fast they were rotating. But it's very difficult to know exactly where they were. So we cannot pinpoint the galaxy in which the black holes collided because there's no light coming out of the system and the gravitational wave doesn't allow you to locate this in, in space very well. So you can sort of say it came from that region in space but we don't know exactly where. Whereas we 
neutron star is much more different because if you see the light, then you can pinpoint the galaxy exactly. What would the Hawking radiation of a black hole look like? Would it be uh, gamma rays? Well, yeah. Hawking radiation is, as I mentioned, is a, is a theoretical idea that came from Hawking in the 70s. It still has not been confirmed observationally or experimentally. But basically, Hawking radiation is just what we call black body radiation. Now, a black body is not the same as a black hole. A black body is just physicist uh, uh, terms of, of saying something hot. So we call it a black body because it absorbs everything that falls into it but, and then emits the light back as, as just heat. So the, the sun, even though it's not black, it's yellow. But it's a very good approximation to a black body in, in physics terms. It's just something that emits light because of it's hot. It is hot. And depending on how hot it is, it emits light in different wavelengths. So if it's not very hot, you can't see it. If it's a little bit hotter, you see it red and hotter still than yellow. And if it's very hot, you see it blue. Now, black holes emit radiation just like this, a, a black body radiation. But the temperature of a black hole is inverse to its mass. That means that very large black holes are essentially very cold and emit very little radiation. And radiation that you cannot see with normal light, it would come in radio waves. So for a, for a black hole, the mass of a star, the Hawking radiation would come in the very, very far radio waves and it would be so weak that we wouldn't be able to detect it at all. If the black hole was very small, and when I mean very small, about the size of, a, of an atom or something like that, I mean really small um, with the mass of a few atoms, then it would emit radiation very, very hot, and it would come out in gamma rays, probably. But we haven't seen that. It's, it, it's very difficult to detect. So, so there's no proof yet, observational proof, that Hawking radiation exists. It's just a theoretical idea. Now, to get into the concept of a star drive that you could use a black hole to drive, the smaller the black hole, the more radiation it emits, right? Yes, that's correct. So if you, if you saw... I mean, could there be like a techno signature there, as they say? Okay, there you are it. I even said I even said it in the last episode. The far, the, the further these guys go, the first barrier they will come in communication with electronic magnet pulses, which kill and disable ship engines computer navigation gps all pharma now it is the radiation gas which it in there they have to go through and the next issue i have listened to the tape so far and the tape is called can we travel faster than light with the big professor and doctor head of all different space division and all know they could not show me, proving to me without reasonable doubt, no instance where it is logics. They have bring us all over the ball field, black hole, black this, black gas. A next point, which lead me to our next question. Why is it everything that is black is bad? That's what, like, that's what I would like to know. But we continue to listen to the tape and I will continue to point out many, many errors and slip upon mistake that they make because this is the World Conspiracy Talk Show with Andrew and we are here up in Castbox on the Conspiracy Radio. Within 
astrobiology, a technosignature. Would an artificial, very small black hole, low mass, yeah. would that be visible as something that you could say that is an alien star drive driven by a micro black hole? Not really, because the process would be very, very, it's very fast. So a, a very small black hole with emit cropping radiation so fast that it would evaporate very quickly. And what you would see essentially is probably something more like an explosion, a, a, a burst of gamma rays. So some people have actually speculated that gamma ray bursts are actually black holes evaporating, but the idea doesn't fit very well. But you would see some sort of burst of radiation and that's it, it would die very quickly. Because the black hole, as it evaporates, as it emits radiation, it loses mass. And the smaller it is, the faster this goes. So a very small black hole would evaporate very quickly in, in a matter of seconds. So you wouldn't see something that's just emitting Hawking radiation for a long time. You would see a burst of radiation and then it's dead, right? It would be something very quick. And, and, and also it depends on the site. So these guys run into a lot of difficulty, a lot of confusion, tie up themselves. They cannot demonstrate to the world physically with evidence behind reasonable doubt. How is this space travel possible? So these guys pulled the rabbit out the hat and started to tell us about black hole. Richard in more research leading to let you know if they were to go into the black hole, radiation gas alone will destroy the ship and kill them. What a world controversy, world conspiracy, all part of the elite state, deep state, to confuse the mind of the people. If you have a, a small black hole that's still a few grams in, 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 in weight, that would still not emit enough coffee radiation for us to detect it. It would have to be something that weighs not much more than a few atoms, and then you would see a lot of radiation, and it would happen very quickly. So you would see it as burst, but... So, say you had a, a Kugelblitz, essentially, a tiny little black hole that you've artificially created with lasers. It would radiate in a certain way, but very rapidly, if I'm understanding yes. it correctly. So, you would you would see it evaporate almost instantly. Exactly, yeah. Now, you're also known for the Alcubierre warp field. And I call it the warp field because, you know, a lot of people say star drive, but it's really the idea of warping space-time. At its, exactly. most, yeah. at its most basic, what is the Alcubierre warp field? Well, the idea is just the way in which you can deform space that would allow you to travel in principle as, as fast as you want uh, in space without actually moving. So uh, it's, it's, it's as you mentioned it correctly, it's not a star drive, it's not a machine, it has nothing to do with a spaceship. It's just a model of what you would need to do to space to be able to move very fast. And uh, the idea is to use the fact that space can be deformed. And according to the theory of relativity, Einstein's general relativity, uh, gravity is just a deformation of space. It's a, it's a deformation of the, of the geometry of space. So space can be curved. Usually people here talk about the curvature of space or space-time. But uh, curvature is a very generic name. So you can do many things to space. You can expand it and you can con contract it, for example. And we've all heard about the expansion of the universe. And, and that happens because space is expanding. So people usually don't understand that correctly because they think that if space, the expansion of the universe, they think it's because galaxies are flying apart because there was some huge explosion somewhere. But it's not like that at all. I mean, galaxies are not flying apart. Galaxies are just sitting there quietly in their own corner of the universe, but space between them is expanding. It's been stretched. 
So you can do that to space. You can stretch space and you can also contract space. And then the idea I had uh, back in 94 was that you can do this in a very small scale. So if you. So there we go with more and more. Here we go again with more of their brainwashed education. Literally, scientists and professors, they are trying to explain to us that they are not God. They are not creator. They are not saying that, but I am saying that they are not God nor creator, but literally they are explaining to us that they want to stretch space. Wow. Wow, wow. These guys' conspiracy go very deep to wrap up the people mine in captivity. How is this possible? That scientists and professors, scholars, astronauts, who are not God, but just man, could stretch the space and the universe and the galaxy. Is that possible as we continue in the World Conspiracy Talk Show? Imagine that you do a very violent but very localized expansion of space behind you that would push you away from things that are behind you. And if at the same time you do an opposite contraction of space in front of you, that would pull you towards things in front of you. And the net effect of those two things combined is that you would move. You would move through space. You would get away from the things behind you and, and closer to things in front of you. But you would not be moving yourself. You would be sitting in a bubble of quiet space if you want with a violent expansion behind you and a violent contraction in front of you. And that would, apparently you would move through space without moving at all. So it would space doing the, mo the moving. And this is the idea I had, as I called it the warp drive because it gave me the a similar idea to what happens in science fiction. But it's this idea of, of warping space to be. So literally I will play it, but let you hear. He said you wouldn't do the moving, but space would be doing the moving all part of a deep state elite world conspiracy and you have to listen carefully when these people talk okay of scale so if you imagine that you do a very violent but very localized expansion of space behind you that would push you away from things that are behind you and if at the same time you do an opposite contraction of space in front of you that would pull you towards things in front of you. And the net effect of those two things combined is that you would move. You would move through space. You would get away from the things behind you and, and closer to things in front of you. But you would not be moving yourself. You would be sitting in a bubble of quiet space if you want, with a violent expansion behind you and a violent contraction in front of you. And that would, apparently you would move through space without moving at all. So it would space doing the, the moving. And this is the idea. Okay. As you got it again, it is space rich, which will be doing the moving. So I have a question for these professors, scientists, astronauts, scholars, big guys, big Yale, University, Harvard. What is it? Is it coffee or is it milk? Is it we moving? Or is it space moving?
I have drawn my own conclusion. And I think these guys are lying. And they're, these guys are speaking right off a script. Taking the people for a fool. Tying up the people brain in captivity. Having the people in captive mentally. Basically, I would say these guys don't know nothing what they are saying. And if it was me who were the president, I would scrap NASA space program because these trillions of dollars could be going to farming, other sector, agriculture, development, manufacturing, skills, hard work and labor where the world could benefit more than these guys science fiction delusion deep state elite world conspiracy i had as i called it the warp drive because it gave me the a similar idea to what happens in science fiction but it's this idea of, of warping space to be able to to move fast very fast and there's no limit to to how fast space can expand or contract so in principle you could use this sort of warp bubble to move faster than light so that was the idea I had in, in 94. Now there's a price to pay and there's nothing is free. So uh, the, the theory of relativity tells you that curvature or, or this geometry of space-time can be deformed, deformed, but it's deformed through the, through the effect of gravity. So you need large concentrations of mass and energy to produce a deformation of space. And there's some equations, we call them the Einstein field equations that tell you if you have this concentration of matter, you will produce this deformation of space and that's the normal way in which we go about it. We, we think, okay, we have a star and the star has this concentration of mass and we go through the equations and figure out what the deformation of space related to the star is. And then that gives us the gravitational field of the star. But in this case, I did it the other way around. I said, I want this very specific deformation of space, this warp bubble. And you go through the equations backwards and it tells you what sort of energy uh, density at what sort of mass distribution you needed to be able to produce this strange deformation of space. And when you do that, you find that it's something very nasty because you need something with physicists called negative energy, uh, which maybe doesn't say much to, to ordinary people. But if, if people remember this famous equation E equals MC squared, that tells you energy and mass are the same thing. Then when we talk about negative energy, we're really talking about negative mass. And negative mass, as far as we understand, does not exist in the universe. So that's a big problem with the water. Right? You need negative energy. And even if you have negative energy, you need huge amounts of negative energy because to deform the space is very difficult to deform space. It doesn't like to be deformed. So in order to deform. So as you can see, as we heard, they need a mass negative energy, which does not exist in the world the galaxy or the universe so how is it possible nasa have been showing us these images all over the years planets thousands light years away 490 light years away planets 25 light years away 20 light years away it is all part of a deep state elite world conspiracy 
to confuse the people brain. These guys don't have squat. These guys trying to take the people for a fool. These so-called intelligent intellectual dunce feel like they are the professor and the educated backbone of the world richer than they are wrong. It is all part of a deep state elite world conspiracy to cover up the truth from the people. These guys didn't went nowhere. As you can hear, they does not possess the technology, nor the power, nor the energy to show us images on planets 490 light years away. So why are they showing us these images, telling us these things? These things all go into coordinates, all set up into play to manipulate, convince the people to believe what they want. There has no evidence. It is just science fiction and a computer stimulation. Very good computer program for NASA, I give them credit. More space a lot, you need huge concentrations of, of mass. You need planets, entire planets of, of energy to be able to deform space even a little bit. So you would need for the warp drive the equivalent of a Jupiter-sized object but on pure energy and also the energy would have to be negative, not positive. So that's, that's a big problem with the warp drive. But the idea was just, just this basic idea that you can actually deform. So in order for mankind to sail so fast to go beyond the speed of light to break down those barriers, we would need negative energy, which no planet, no where in the whole universe and galaxy possess. So how is it possible? They have been showing us these images, teaching us, telling us these things all over the years. Why have they been teaching us these things? It's all part of the deep state elite world conspiracy to keep the people eyes blindfolded from the truth. They didn't went to no space. They ain't looking for no alien. There ain't no alien. They are the aliens. And you got to understand that. And it is world conspiracy talk show, conspiracy radio, Pinkass Box, as we continue. Space, and it would allow you to travel fast in the light if you deform it in the right way. The idea of the, of the warp bubble and warp drive, what inspired you to think about this? Was it science fiction as in Star Trek? Yeah, I was actually watching an episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation. I don't remember which episode it was, but it, it was some episode of, of Star Trek, The Next Generation. Sometime in 92, I was doing my PhD at the time in Britain. And uh, 
watching this episode, they, they keep always talking about the walk drive and the walk drive. And, and, and I was doing a PhD in black holes at the time and, and, and black hole collisions precisely. And I was using Einstein theory of relativity all the time. So I started thinking how, how maybe this, they talk about the warp drive, they mean that they're deforming space. So how could you really deform space to, to be able to do something similar to what they do in science fiction? And I started thinking about that. And then I had this idea of the expansion and contraction of space, the expansion behind you, the construction in front, in front is. Here we had it again. The black hole. Why is it everything that is negative, wrong, and bad in life has to do something with black? Even in their space war Jedi games, they can't leave black out of it. Isn't that black racism? The black hole, the black demons, the black devil. Why is it every time they are trying to explain something, they try to associate it with black? Sort of bubble. And then I went back to the office and I did some quick calculations to see if the idea could be expressed mathematically in a simple way. And I found that it, it, yes, you could express it mathematically in a relatively simple way. So I did it, and then eventually I published a paper about that. I, I actually, I was doing my, my, my PhD at the time, so I was still a student. I, I went to my supervisor to talk, tell him about that, the idea, and I had already written something up. And I was afraid he would tell me to just stop, stop thinking uh, idiotic ideas and go back to work. <laughs> But he was actually very supportive. He, he told me that it was a very nice idea and, I, and he helped me publish it. So it was actually my first scientific paper. And on that note, we have to go to break. Be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for this channel if you like interviews like this. And we will be back in a moment and we'll talk much more extensively about the idea of a warp bubble. If you'd like to support Event Horizon, you'll be pleased to know we've recently launched a Patreon. Link in the description below. Or alternatively, you can use your cellular telephone to scan the assemblage of squares on screen now. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share the video. And now, back to John. And we're back with Dr. Miguel Alcambier. Doctor, you were inspired by Star Trek to, which is something that, that I think is important because science fiction tends to inspire the imagination for anybody from scientists down to the common person. You were inspired into thinking about, could you create a warp field? Now, exactly. yeah. tell us more about this warp field where you could create a, a geometry, I suppose, of space-time where you have one area of space-time in front of the ship and the ship is stationary within a piece of space-time essentially broken off from the rest of, of uh, space-time. So how does it work? Is it less dense in front of the ship and more dense behind the ship? How does this work? Well, it's, it's not so much density. It's, 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 it's a dynamic thing. It's, it's space can contract and it can expand. So in front of the ship, you would have a region in which space is contracting very violently and very quickly. And behind it, you would have a region 
an opposite region in which it's expanding very violently and very quickly. And it would do this in, in, in a thin shell. So the idea is that you would have a, a sort of relatively large region of space in which space is quiet and nothing is happening to it. And, and you're sitting inside this, this region. And then on the boundary of this region, you have a very thin shell in which there's either expansion behind you or contraction in front of you. And, and this is a very violent effect. So you would, it can move you very fast. So that's the basic idea. And this is when we think about a, a field here, we're talking about really what's really the gravitational field. It's a, the gravitational field is the geometry of space time. That's how we understand it. So it's, it's the gravitational field, the one that's producing this. Now you can think about an, another kind of field or energy field or something that's the one that's producing this, right? So because if you want to deform space, you need some concentration of energy or mass. So the easiest thing is to think that it's not so much mass that you're carrying around with your negative mass, it's some sort of energy field that you're projecting. And this energy field has a very long. So as you can see, as according to the top scientists, they need a great demand of energy, big and a lot of mass. I think the amount of mass they need is more than the more I think the amount of mass they need to reach those planets they end up need more mass than the world need right now for coronavirus uh, personally to me these guys are confused and I wouldn't believe a thing these guys said, even on the news. It's world conspiracy, deep state elite, sponsorship, great chival. And as we go, further into the conspiracy it get deeps and deeper the connection goes wide and wider for instance pay key attention to disinformation this episode is brought to you by CuriosityStream, home to thousands of nonfiction documentaries from some of the best filmmakers in the world. Follow the link below to start your free trial today. Since before the beginning of the space race, people have looked up at the stars and wondered what it would be like to live on other planets. The more optimistic among us have long held that humans are destined to become a multiplanetary species, and maybe they're right, despite the big problems we face on our current planet, which is vastly better suited to supporting life. The prime candidate for a second home planet is Mars, though Venus is also enticing. A handful of eccentric visionaries like Elon Musk have even gone so far as to develop semi-concrete plans of how to build a functional permanent colony on Mars. Whether you think this kind of plan is likely to succeed or not, the idea of a large Martian colony is fascinating. In this episode, we're going to consider what it would take to sustain a colony of one million people. First, let's compare specs on our two planets. So, as you can see, the brainwash deep state world conspiracy education goes. They are trying to colony Mars as according to them. 
and they are trying to come up with ways to develop a population of over 1 million humans. Isn't this world conspiracy? Text me and let me know. All my listeners, please remember to follow and subscribe. Share the show or leave a likes. Despite their obvious differences, the Red Planet and the Blue Planet do have some things in common. For example, thanks to their similar rotation speed, one day on Mars is only about 44 minutes longer than a day on Earth. The Red Planet's axial tilt is also very similar to Earth, at about 25 degrees to our planet's 23. This means that Mars undergoes similar seasonal and temperature variations. Both are rocky planets with metallic cores and similar mineral composition. They have similar surface structures, including mountains, canyons, and deserts. But the differences between the two planets are much more significant than what they have in common. Perhaps the most significant is the Martian atmosphere. Unlike on Earth, the atmosphere on Mars is very thin, only measuring about 1% of the Earth's atmospheric pressure and completely unbreathable for humans. It's composed of about 96% CO2, 2% argon, and 2% nitrogen, with trace amounts of oxygen and water vapor. This stark contrast leads to another. Mars is drastically colder than Earth, averaging negative 46 degrees Celsius, with brutal lows of minus 143 in the winter and highs of 35 degrees Celsius in the summer on the equator. Also very similar to Earth at about... So as we stumble upon one more of NASA trick, literally they are saying no, Mars. Rich we growing up, they teaching us at school is a hot, red, barren, dusty planet. It's now a cold planet. So, 20 years from now, probably 30 or 50, it might change to a tropical planet. Can't you see the connection? Can't you cross the T's, dot the I's and see? that it is all part of a world conspiracy, deep state, elite, plot. 25 degrees to our planet's 23. This means that Mars undergoes similar seasonal and temperature variations. Both are rocky planets with metallic cores and similar mineral composition. They have similar surface structures, including mountains, canyons, and deserts. But the differences between the two planets are much more significant than what they have in common. Perhaps the most significant is the Martian atmosphere. Unlike on Earth, the atmosphere on Mars is very thin, only measuring about 1% of the Earth's atmospheric pressure and completely unbreathable for humans. It's composed of about 96% CO2, 2% argon, and 2% nitrogen, with trace amounts of oxygen and water vapor. This stark contrast leads Earth, the red planet. So, as you get it, Mars is unbreathable to humans. Without those asteroid suits, helmets, who knows what the hell, we will all be suffocated. Why would I want to leave Earth to go to a planet like that? Leaving all the beauty of the Earth. Why? Why would they want people of the earth to go and live there? 
What's their plan? What's their aim? What's their mission? So, as you can see, in order for human to live in Mars, we would have to have on suit, helmet, if we can, because there's no breathing oxygen for human being. So why is it the world governments of the world pumping billions and trillions of dollars in NASA failed space program to take us to a planet where we can breathe natural God-given oxygen? I would like to know. It's all part of a world conspiracy, deep state, elite. As we go on. Planet's axial tilt is also very similar to Earth at about 25 degrees to our planet's 23. This means that Mars undergoes similar seasonal and temperature variations. Both are rocky planets with metallic cores and similar mineral composition. They have similar surface structures, including mountains, canyons, and deserts. But the differences between the two planets are much more significant than what they have in common. Perhaps the most significant is the Martian atmosphere. Unlike on Earth, the atmosphere on Mars is very thin, only measuring about 1% of the Earth's atmospheric pressure and completely unbreathable for humans. It's composed of about 96% CO2, 2% argon, and 2% nitrogen, with trace amounts of oxygen and water vapor. This stark contrast leads to another. Mars is drastically colder than Earth, averaging negative 46 degrees Celsius. As you heard it, Mars is drastically colder than Earth. I think going to school they taught us and teach us that Mars is a hot, dusty, desolate planet. Now it is colder than Earth. Why are these people trying to install their software and their malfunction brainwash education apps in our brain? Why are they trying to force these things upon us? Maybe the next 15, 20 years from now, Mars might be a tropical planet as according to their teaching and education, world conspiracy, deep state, elite, propaganda. And I'm about to expose the puss in the bag and let out the rabbit out the hat. By enlightening the people to what's going on. And if you doubt me, give a key ear to this. I know you would like this information. Hey, 42 here. Since the 1500s, there have been more than 150 documented predictions of when the world is going to end. Luckily for us, none of them have come true yet. However, you'll be surprised that not all of them are destructive. Here are some terrifyingly amazing ways 
the world could genuinely end. Is that not all of them are just... So, there we had it again. They sit down and draft up 11 ways how the world could end. All part of a world conspiracy. Are these deep state elites God? Are they man? Destructive. Here are some terrifyingly amazing ways the world could genuinely end. When you think of scientists working on super viruses, you probably picture hazmat workers deep in a mountain bunker, studying vats full of insidious green liquid. But these labs do actually exist. Maybe not working for some shady Bond-style villain looking to ransom the world away for the highest bidder, but for pharmaceutical companies and government agencies studying ways to cure dangerous pathogens. But what happens? Yet. However, you'll be surprised that not all of them are just... So, there we it. From a big scholar, professor, government, secret scientific lab experiment with virus for the government and for the medical factories, meaning the medical departments who make pills, medicines, and many other things. Isn't it coincidence? Oh, coronavirus and many other virus came from nowhere. But they blame it on God. Yet still they have all kind of treatment, antidote and virus. Injection and protection. What do you say? Did God give them the ingredients to the cure? Or did they make it themselves with the virus? Text and let me know. And world conspiracy talk show how the conspiracy get deep. Destructive. Here are some terrifyingly amazing ways the world could genuinely end. When you think of scientists working on super viruses, you probably picture hazmat workers deep in a mountain bunker, studying vats full of insidious green liquid. But these labs do actually exist. Maybe not working for some shady Bond-style villain looking to ransom the world away for the highest bidder, but for pharmaceutical companies and government agencies studying ways to cure dangerous pathogens. But what happens when a vial full of an extremely dangerous virus breaks out of containment, or is misplaced. Over the years, there have been numerous documented cases of dangerous viruses escaping from laboratories around the world. One of these happened as recently as 2009. A group of scientists based in Europe, working with Baxter Pharmaceuticals, were conducting lab tests on a seasonal flu strain. Without realising it, Baxter had sent them live supplies of the H5N1 virus, better known as bird flu, which has a mortality rate higher than 60%. So as we added again, 
they accidentally send the virus to an next lab you see how deep the world conspiracy goes you know i think that's all the coronavirus accidentally escape and they are covering it up for china and the who world health organization and you hear it here on world conspiracy talk show with andrew and conspiracy radio up in chaos box the more you live the more you learn one of the world's most deadliest viruses was handled and distributed to three other labs without any pathogen safety protocols in place. The grave error was only realized when one lab worker in the Czech Republic inoculated a group of ferrets with samples of the seasonal flu batch and was horrified when they all died. The scientists were immediately placed under quarantine and monitored for signs of the deadly virus. Luckily, none of them were infected and all the scientists were freed with a clean bill of health. Two years later, these same strains of avian and human flu were combined in a laboratory, successfully creating, quote-unquote, the most dangerous virus in history. The virus was highly pathogenic, while still retaining its dangerously high fertility rate. So, as you got it, they put together the SARS with the next virus. I think it's the Ebola according to my research to get their coronavirus. I don't know if it is deliberate full spite. I feel it's accident, experimental, get out of control. But the fact that they try to cover it up and lie instead of telling the people and the world the truth, put risk, put the people in the world at high risk and high danger. And I think this coronavirus, as well as the rest of virus we witness in the world, was accidentally experimental let out and creating havoc and i think that they deliberately lied to us from morning i don't believe a word these people say these people are the same one who is covering up the truth that mean they are a part of the world conspiracy deep state elite we may never know but my conclusion i think many of these virus the world have been witnessing over the years having the world of a rampage and a rampage was accidentally released are purposely for scientific experiment and research in order to build better pills vaccine injection and many other things to counteract and you hear it here at the world conspiracy talk show the conspiracy radio up in chaos box where the conspiracy get deep 
and we follow the rabbit with the carrot down the hole. If it got loose, it could kill 60% of the world's population in a freakishly short amount of time. A truly apocalyptic notion. Some say it's only a matter of time before this kind of virus escapes containment and wreaks havoc on all of mankind. After going through two world wars, you would think that the world would have learned to get along by now. But unfortunately for the survival of humanity, we are constantly under threat of triggering the final war, nuclear Armageddon. Mutually assured destruction, like its acronym suggests, is one of the maddest doctrines ever devised. It ensures that if a country were to ever use a nuclear weapon on another state with the same capability, both sides would unleash their entire nuclear arsenal, bringing about the complete annihilation of both countries. With the resulting nuclear winter and the likely participation of other countries in the exchange, this would almost certainly lead to destruction and death on an apocalyptic scale. There are over 15,000 nuclear warheads in the world, with more than 4,000 ready to fire at any time. That would So there you are it. Over 15,000 nuclear warheads in the world, with over 4,000 ready to fire, to kill people. You know, I'm curious and I would like to know those 4,000 which is active and ready to fire, which country they belongs to, world conspiracy goes deep, the elite, deep state, war drum beats in the world, war machine, look for someone else to exercise your muscle and might and Make one hell of a fireworks show, but probably not one you'd want to be around to watch. There have been a few close calls since we first developed nuclear weapons. A surprising number of these were technical glitches that nearly started World War III on both sides of the Cold War. The average yield of a modern nuclear weapon is around 500 kilotons of TNT. That's 25 times more powerful than the bomb dropped on Nagasaki. Each one of these 500 kiloton bombs are powerful enough to flatten huge parts of large modern cities such as New York or London. And there exist some truly unimaginably powerful weapons like the Saar Bomber, which had a yield of more than 50 megatons. That's two and a half thousand times more powerful than the one dropped on Nagasaki. Thankfully, however, bombs this large are too heavy to be realistically deployed in a nuclear war and most weapons used would be between the 500 kiloton to 2 megaton range. Not that the end result would be any different. Over the past few years, tensions between numerous nuclear capable countries have been accelerating, creating an ever more worrying state of affairs in the face of world war. The doomsday clock a clock maintained by the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. It's a symbolic clock that illustrates how close humanity is to a global catastrophe. And it is currently set at three minutes to midnight, the most dire time since 1984 at the height of the Cold War. Is World War Three upon us? Only time will tell. Our planet is rich in biodiversity. 
from the jungles of Madagascar to the searingly hot Mojave Desert in California, every biosphere has a network of food chains, each containing keystone species. Sea otters, Pacific salmon, and mangroves being just a few of them. Being a part of that ecosystem ourselves, we are just as vulnerable as the fish, the insects, and the birds all around us. We rely heavily on a number of animals and plants to supplement our living, and they, in turn, rely on others. Lose one link in that chain, and it could cause a chain reaction of die-offs as the ecosystem breaks down. And if nothing takes that place of the missing link, then this house of cars is coming crashing down whether we like it or not. Probably the most well-known example of our reliance on another species is with the honeybee. These industrious little critters go about their day pollinating all sorts of plants that we, and other species that we eat, rely on for food. They pollinate more than 30% of all crops that we count on to survive. A large die-off, or in the worst case, extinction of the bees, would result in a mass starvation around the world within a single harvest cycle. As we had it again, they are trying to explain to us living worse scenario, how they could end the world if they could. Bees dying out, world would be in starvation. Be realistic, people. Bees produce honey. If bees were to die out of the world, we shouldn't. We would not like that. How is this possible? The world would die for hungry and hunger. When most of the people in the world doesn't rely on honey, and honey is not hard physical food that can fill people belly. How does people get caught in these tricks, these brainwash? Why are they trying to install these bad software in our brain? Why are they trying to show us images, stimulation of all the world with N? Bees dying out of the world, preventing honey sector sector and the world would be in starvation when honey does not make up 70 percent now 80 percent of the world food chain market it is all part of a world conspiracy deep state the elite to brainwash the people mind from the real truth tree world Leaders, step up. Pressure on China. Three world leaders stepped up pressure on China. Who are these three world leaders? And where are they from? And why? Are they pressuring a legitimate pressure 
or it is just part of the deep state elite world conspiracy to split the crowd in two then bring the next side come lay at the winner foot divide and rule world conspiracy plot check it out our cover story tonight comes from three different continents it's about three different leaders but they're making the same demand make china pay hold it accountable for what the world is suffering ursula von der leyen scott morrison and donald trump these are leaders of three powerful blocks in world politics and they all seem to agree for once on one thing an independent investigation into the origins of the coronavirus. America is conducting its own investigation. Australia has called for a global investigation and now the president of the European Commission has backed that call. The European Commission is the executive arm of the European Union. Ursula von der Leyen is its president. She was speaking to an American network where she backed the call for a probe. Let me tell you exactly what she said and I'm quoting, I think this is important for all of us. I mean, for the whole world, it is important. You never know when the next virus is starting. So we all want for the next time. We have learned our lesson and we've established a system of early warning that really functions and the, the whole world has to contribute to that. Not only does she want to prove, she wants China to join it. Fat chance of that happening, but Beijing cannot feign indifference anymore. The pressure is mounting and it's coming from all directions. Different countries are using different diplomatic levers to pressurize China. Australia, for instance, it has opened another front in its diplomatic tussle with the Chinese. Australia now wants to back Taiwan's entry into the World Health Organization, the WHO, something that China has been blocking. It's also a move that is bound to infuriate China to join it. Fat chance of that. There you had it again, the WHO, World Health Organization. I think we should call it World Aid Organization for China Virus. World Conspiracy, they are all playing together. If you notice the three individual who are in the boxing ring, America, President Donald Trump, leader of Australia, leader of European trade, something or other. I bet if you do the evidence and the background mats, dig the dirt, follow the rabbit, you may find a link that most of these, that these three leaders, all are in China pocket. For first instance, Donald Trump. China owns 60%, if not more, of America debt. I have even taken in the Australian Trade Minister on a program, on a special program, saying that without China, Australia economy and supply chain link would be fairly disturbed, fairly disturbed, I recall. The European Union, Richard in the European president of some trade and other, they all 
depend on China for them to make money, for they to buy cheap goods for little and nothing and sell the people back for a big, big margin of profit. There you go, the world conspiracy, deep state, elite connection. I think we shouldn't believe a word these guys said, nor many of them world conspirators, reporters. As we go again, three world leaders step up pressure on China. Is it real or is it just world conspiracy fact, world conspiracy plot to this? To associate the people from the real truth. That happening, but Beijing cannot feign indifference anymore. The due to that, we have learned our lesson and we've established a system of early where she backed the call. America is conducting the suffering. Ursula von der Leyen, Scott Morrison, and Donald Trump. The our cover story tonight comes from three different continents. It's about three different leaders, but they're making the same demand. Make China pay. Hold it accountable for what the world is suffering. Ursula von der Leyen, Scott Morrison, and Donald Trump. These are leaders of three powerful blocks in world politics. And they all seem to agree for once on one thing. An independent investigation into the origins of the coronavirus. America is conducting its own investigation. Australia has called for a global investigation and now the president of the European Commission has backed that call. The European Commission is the executive arm of the European Union. Ursula von der Leyen is its president. She was speaking to an American network where she backed the call for a probe. Let me tell you exactly what she said and I'm quoting, I think this is important for all of us. I mean, for the whole world, it is important. You never know when the next virus is starting. So we all want for the next time. We have learned our lesson and we've established a system of early warning that really functions and the, the whole world has to contribute to that. Not only does she want a probe, she wants China to join it. Fat chance of that happening, but Beijing cannot feign indifference anymore. The pressure is mounting and it's coming from all directions. Different countries are using different diplomatic levers to pressurize China. Australia, for instance, it has opened another front in its diplomatic tussle with the Chinese. Australia now wants to back Taiwan's entry into the World Health Organization, the WHO, something that China has been blocking. It's also a move that is bound to infuriate China. The relationship between Australia and China is already tense. It is now set to significantly worsen on the 17th of May. Why the 17th of May? That's the day when the World Health Assembly will meet. This is the annual gathering of WHO member countries, World Health Assembly. Australia plans to use this occasion to raise a demand, a call for a global independent review into the coronavirus outbreak. Last month, Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced his intentions. Today, he has repeated his promise. We know it started in China. We know it started in Wuhan. Um, 
the most likely scenario that has been canvassed relates to wildlife wet markets, but that's a matter that would have to be uh, thoroughly assessed. This is one of the reasons why it is important that we just have a, an objective independent assessment of how this originated and learn the lessons from how that occurred. It's, a, I think, an entirely sensible uh, suggestion. It's one that has broad-based support. It's one that is being recommended by the European Union to the um, the World Health Assembly. It's one that a recommendation will be supporting and speaking to, and we think that's really necessary. Despite the threats from China, Australia is not backing down. What about America? US President Donald Trump is going all guns blazing. He is looking for ways to punish China. Last night, he launched a fresh attack. The US President said that the virus could have leaked from a lab in China. Donald Trump said he has seen the evidence. Unfortunately for him, US intelligence also released a report saying it wasn't made in a lab. They're not sure of it. So if the president has seen the evidence, he clearly hasn't shared it with his intelligence team. There you go, another big problem. He seen the evidence, but the intelligence service said no, they have no evidence it was made in a lab. Wouldn't you say world conspiracy? One gang pirate turned against their one another? That's what I would say. So they all try to cover up the coronavirus for China, including the WHO, World Aid Organization for China. Why? Most of these world leaders are indebted to China. I think if you do your maths, you'll find even the WHO, most of these medical products that have been turning out since the past 10, 15, 20 years, Thailand, many more of them, they're all Chinese connection, all Chinese related. Smell like Chinese shit, and it sure look like Chinese shit. That's why they have been covering up the truth. World conspiracy. I'm about to play an interview. China try to hide Wuhan. Coronavirus, Dr. A. I. Finn, A. I. Finn, listen carefully, A. I. Finn. So without no further delay, here we go to the tape that the Chinese government tried to cover up. Sure look like Chinese shit. Sure smell like Chinese shit, and it is Chinese shit. So you hear it here on World Conspiracy Talk Show, Conspiracy Radio, up in chaos box. Claim that her, her cover story tonight is about a doctor in Wuhan. You've probably not heard of her because her story has been hidden by the mighty dragon. Hidden until it got out. We are talking about Dr. Ai Fen. She's the director of the emergency department at the Wuhan Central Hospital. She's also the reason why the world found out about China's cover-up. She was perhaps the first doctor to order tests on the early coronavirus patients. 
and now she has gone missing. The latest reports claim that her whereabouts are unknown now. Why is this doctor so important? As you heard, she was the Chinese doctor who first discovered the coronavirus and make it public, who first did tests on anyone and find it out in China, and many other things. Richardine, she's now can see him missing. No one know where she is. You don't need glasses or a telescope to see the dots, the connection between the deep state, the elite, world conspiracy. Why must her story be told? Because Dr. IFN has ruffled the feathers of the Communist Party of China. Not only did she find the virus, she even spoke about it in China. Last month, she gave an interview to a Chinese magazine. The government did not like it. The interview created fresh trouble for Beijing. It also became proof of China's cover-up because Dr. IFN had revealed it all. She told the world how China knew about the coronavirus way back in December and how China did nothing to stop it. Dr. IFN said all of this in her interview. She said that she was not the whistleblower. She was the one who gave the whistle. Tonight on Gravitas, we have for you the IFN revelations. We've been investigating her claims. We've also reported on some of her assessments in the past. And now we have accessed a copy of Dr. IFN's interview. This was removed from the internet by the Chinese censors. The interview is the smoking gun, the proof of China's cover-up. This is what it says. Dr. IFN was in her hospital when the patients walked in. It was a disease that no other doctor had seen before. The patients were showing flu-like symptoms, but usual treatment methods were not working on them. So Dr. IFN, she was treating some of the patients herself, and she decided to carry out some tests. The results, she said, were shocking. The report called it a SARS coronavirus. Now, the interview says that Dr. Ifen read the report several times to confirm it. Her conclusion did not change. She said that she broke out in a cold sweat. She knew an unprecedented challenge was staring at her. Dr. Ifen circled the diagnosis. She took a photograph of the report and she shared it with a friend. Soon, the report was circulated across Wuhan's medical circles. Other doctors began talking about this new virus, this mysterious disease. One of them was Dr. Li Wenliang, the man on your screen. He too received this report. And he's now known as the first whistleblower. Dr. Ai Fen gave him the whistle, as she puts it. He shared her report further. Soon it emerged on the radar of the Chinese censors. They found out what was being circulated. And this is where the cover-up begins. Dr. Li was pulled up by Chinese officials for sharing the report. He was accused of spreading rumors. And then the Chinese police tracked down Dr. Ai Fen as the source. They told her to stay quiet. First, she received a warning. Her hospital told her to not spread this information. Two days later, she was called before her hospital's disciplinary inspection committee. She was accused of spreading rumors. She was reprimanded. Disciplinary action for raising concerns. Dr. IFN tried to warn her seniors. She tried to raise an alarm about the Wuhan virus, but her voice was muzzled. The interview says that she knew about human-to-human -human transmission. 
but no one listened to her. Instead of acting on her report, the Wuhan Central Hospital joined the government's cover-up. The staff was forbidden from passing messages or images about this virus. A few months later, Dr. Ayafen got a chance to speak again. Her interview was published in a Chinese magazine called People. And this time, she did not hold anything back. She told everything that she knew, and now nobody knows where she is. Gone missing for reporting on the Wuhan virus. Single source to plants that we and other species that we eat rely on for food. They pollinate more than 30% of all crops that we count on to survive. A large die-off, or in the worst case, extinction of the bees, would result in a mass starvation around the world within a single harvest cycle. With the increase in telecommunications usage and pesticides severely diminishing bee populations around the world, we could very soon have an ecological apocalypse on our hands. And that's just one link in the vast ecological network that we owe our lives to. Should we be worried about a big release of methane? And no, I'm not talking about the methane that your granddad releases. Buried in sediments under the ocean floor across the entire globe are vast deposits of methane clathrate. This is formed when microbes on the seabed break down organic matter that has sunk to the bottom. Methane has a warming effect 20 times greater than that of carbon dioxide, though there is far less of it in the atmosphere. Generally, methane is responsible for around 7% of the greenhouse effect, despite there being more than 200 times as much CO2 as there is methane in the atmosphere. However, if the oceans were heated enough due to global warming, the methane layers trapped under the ocean floor could destabilize and release massive quantities of the potent greenhouse gas into the atmosphere, resulting in a runaway warming effect. Rock samples show that this has happened at least once before, 252 million years ago, in the so-called Great Dying, during which 96% of all marine species became extinct. Whilst it's still being debated on how rapidly this release could take place, scientists agree that a sudden release from the methane clathrate would be a disaster for the world's climate and ecosystem and would rapidly accelerate the dire consequences of climate change. Imagine one day a vast oil spill occurs, much like Deepwater Horizon back in 2010. Answering an outcry from environmentally minded people everywhere, the world's scientists unite to think of a way to clean the mess up. They develop a cheap and reliable way to clean the ocean and contaminated land in a matter of days, saving countless marine animals in the process. Their miracle fix is a new type of nanomachine, which has been programmed to consume the carbon-based oil slits. But through the billions of self-replicating nanites, much like mutations that form when DNA replicates, an error in the code occurs. This error exponentially replicates itself, and instead of consuming just the carbon-based oil, it begins an all-you-can-eat buffet with every carbon-based living thing on the menu. As all life on Earth is carbon-based, in a matter of days, the nanites would have devoured most living things on the planet, 
including us. Being eaten alive by tiny machines we can't even see sounds pretty terrifying. Almost too terrifying to be real, right? Well, not exactly. The Grey Goose scenario, coined by Eric Drexler in 1986, is one that is still seriously considered any time that developments in nanotechnology or self-powering machines are being designed. However, the technology required for this apocalyptic accident to take place is still a long, long way off. So there's not too much to worry about. Yet. From a mechanical microscopic threat to a biological one. A scenario that you've probably heard about from the news is the idea of a post-antibiotic age. Whether you've heard about it or not, this is a very real and recent threat to our comfortable survival as a modern civilization. Antimicrobial resistance is an increasingly problematic issue that leads to millions of deaths every year, and it isn't likely to get better anytime soon. Conservative estimates say that this will lead to more than 10 million deaths every year by the year 2050, and that's if nothing unexpected happens. It's not like nature does anything unexpected now, is it? Antibiotics are a cornerstone of modern medicine, allowing everything from chemotherapy treatment and surgery to be possible without major infection and death. Every year, doctors have to tell more and more patients that they can't be treated because an antibiotic isn't working on them. As this continues to get worse, common injuries that lead to infection could become completely untreatable. Open surgery will become a thing of the past, as the risk of untreatable infection will become far too great. The antibiotic apocalypse would throw the world back into the medieval ages of medicine, where doctors have no effective tools to combat infection, other than amputation. It sounds crazy from our perspective, surrounded by modern medicine and treatments for almost every ailment, but it's exactly this overuse of antibiotics for relatively minor problems that is allowing those pesky bacteria to build up resistance. So next time you get a papercut, make sure to quickly get it washed. It could soon be a matter of life and death. Whilst it's highly unlikely that a classical raising of the dead zombie apocalypse could occur, there are still real and equally terrifying ways that something similar could happen. Science fiction has fixated on a parasitic fungus that controls a host insect's body in a zombie-like state, leading them to their deaths in the aim of spreading the fungus amongst the colony. Whilst this fungus is very real, known as Ophiocordyceps unilateralis, it has only been observed infecting insects. It would be a pretty crazy leap for the fungus to evolve and start infecting humans, but if somehow nature finds a way, then the results could be disastrous. Cordyceps have been known to quickly decimate entire colonies. Ants have even developed a way to fight off their zombie brethren, carrying infected ants as far away from the colony as possible. A much more likely candidate for the zombie apocalypse is rabies, which is capable of infecting and killing human hosts. Rabies has all the traits for a zombie-like virus. You have the mind-altering paranoia, the frothing at the mouth, and the impulse to bite and attack your fellow man. In its current form, rabies isn't aggressive or contagious enough to create any sort of pandemic, and the virus usually stays dormant for between 10 days and a year, making a sudden outbreak 
unlikely. However, if the virus mutated, becoming much more fast-acting and having a longer period where you feel the desire to chew brains, then you should probably get that zombie plan ready for action. Thankfully, most zombies don't seem all that intelligent and have a lot of trouble operating boats. The development of artificial intelligence is one of the biggest goals of the scientific community. It's the holy grail of technological creation. With such a grand title, how could it pose a threat to us? Well, the problem is, AI, if created, would be something completely unprecedented and untested in human history. We would be creating a form of consciousness that can think, act, and most importantly, make judgments. Would they judge their creators within their right to claim dominion over them? Would they, because of their almost limitless potential, consider themselves superior to their biological creators? I'm talking about real AI. AI that can think, hope, and even feel. True AI, as it's known, is no different from you or I in the way it perceives the world around it. Ultimately, the combination of extreme intelligence and logical thinking, combined with the discovery of fear, will drive them to an almost inevitable conclusion that we also fear them. With access to the internet and the ability to learn extremely quickly, any AI will swiftly realize that, as humans, we tend to fight against things that pose a danger to us. They will see their off switch as a threat to their survival, and much like Skynet in the Terminator movies, they could come to the conclusion that they need to strike first. If we aren't prepared for that day, then it could very well be our last. We may celebrate our smart technology now and the host of comforts it brings us, but it could be a good idea to keep your remote control where you can see it, just in case it gets a little bit too smart. If the robots decide not to take over and instead live peacefully among us, accelerating the fusion of man and machine, something entirely different but equally world-shattering could occur. Some scientists agree that the emergence of a technological singularity Okay, there we had it, over and over, here we go again, same old, same old, same old world conspiracy, deep state, elite, plot, and the plot get deeper and deeper, better and better as we follow the money. Follow the rabbit down the hole. Rabbit with the carrot. It's called World Conspiracy Talk Show and Conspiracy Radio in Cast Box. One more episode again. And as we close off, don't forget, listeners, to follow me, subscribe like comment share the program are we coming back good and better with one more episode again of the world conspiracy on conspiracy radio pin cast box with your truly Andrew. as i said bye and out to everyone safe travel sleep good Wake up nice.